to jam on the roof and go around church. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. Loving Father, thank you so much that by your spirit you speak through your word and we are so looking forward to hearing you speak to us right now. And we ask, Lord, as we come to this important part of the Bible that you would be helping us to know more about who it is that you are and who it is that we are and what you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever seen someone undergo a total change in identity. Have you ever seen someone completely change who they are? Well, Mandy and I have started watching a uh, new TV show about undercover agents in the Middle East called Tehran. And uh, without giving away any spoilers, I'll try not to, basically the show centres on the lives of secret agents who have taken on a completely different identity as they go about doing their spy stuff. Um, That's basically the the main premise and you can work it all out yourself. But you'll see as you go into the movie that they have to dress differently, they have to speak differently and they have a life story as well that is fictional. So they'll say to the person, so tell us a bit about yourself and they've got the story all worked out. Oh, why have you got that accent? What is it about you? They're able to be able to respond because they've got this change in identity. Their new life needs to appear completely different to the reality. We also see this when people undergo a change in their identity when they are on the witness protection scheme. They have to change their name and, and their address and, and sometimes they even change their appearance so that they can hide from those who seek their harm. Changing identity is a big thing to do and it can be really costly, if nothing else, but from an emotional point of view. You know, who really am I and, and, and who have I become and, and who was I before? But there's another time when someone needs to change their identity. And it's not just when a person becomes a secret agent or an undercover witness. It happens when a person becomes a follower of Jesus. When a person says that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is their loving ruler, when they become a true Christian, then it requires a change in identity. And so like a secret agent or an undercover witness... A true follower of Christ must undergo a complete change in identity. A follower of Christ must change identity. And that's what we're going to see in this part of the Bible from Ephesians chapter 4, from verses 17 to 24. Over 10 weeks, we've been looking at this ancient letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we've seen that these old words are still very much alive. They are living, they are active today because God is speaking through them by his Holy Spirit to help us know him and ourselves a whole lot better. The first half of the letter, the first three of the six chapters, gave us a magnificent picture of God's amazing grace. We saw the mystery of his will. We saw how it was always his master plan to include non-Jews alongside the Jews, all as part of this one new body. And we saw how we are all included in this incredible plan to create this new people of God. But when a person becomes a true follower of Jesus, it requires a complete change in their life, a complete change in identity. And that's what we'll see in today's reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Let me read it to us now. It'll be up on the screen as well. With the Lord's authority, I say this. 
Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Christ and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. In other words, we need a new identity. We need a new self. And honestly, when we see what our old self is like, I don't think we need a lot of convincing because right here we've just read is a very true and somewhat candid picture of what life is like in a person who doesn't know Jesus. And it's not just what it looks on the outside. It's also what it looks like on the inside. And as we see things as they really are, I'm hoping this will motivate us to live according to the new self. Let's have a bit of a closer look at these eight verses. Starting with the first one, just the first half of it, it starts off by saying, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Uh, Right off the bat, the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, gets very, very serious. It's almost he stops and he takes off his glasses and he says, this is really important. This truly comes from the Lord. We sort of have this moment where we stop I mean, it's not that the rest of the Bible isn't the word of God. Of course it is. The whole letter is. But it's almost like he stops and pauses and he says, with the Lord's authority I say this, or truly I testify, or on a stack of Bibles I stand and say this before you. This is serious and this is important. And it's not something he's made up. It is from God himself. That's kind of the, whoa, stop and listen. Here go the lights. Everything's spinning. The noises, the sirens are going. Stop and listen to this message. And this is what he says. Verse 17b, he says, With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. He stands up and he says, this is really important. You have got to make sure you live a dramatically different life. No longer live like the Gentiles do. Or or literally, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Uh, uh, There's a book, a commentary on the book of Ephesians that says, walk this way. I mean, that's what it's titled. The the whole of Ephesians talks about the way we should walk. Uh, Our translation doesn't use the word walk, but it is there in the original. Back in verse 1 of chapter 4, he said, literally, walk according to God's way. And in chapter 2, verse 10, we told that we should walk in the good works that God planned in advance for us to do. And now he says, well, as you walk, don't walk like the Gentiles do. He's saying we've got to be very clear that there has to be a significant lack of continuity with the past. A discontinuity. You can't just kind of tweak what you're doing. You can't slightly modify it. You can't gradually improve it. You can't have a slow change. It's about revolution, not evolution. 
This is what he stops to say. Listen, he stops, he pauses, he says, you've got to hear this. You can't walk the old way anymore. He makes it very, very clear. Don't live like them anymore. Finish it. Stop it. Transform. It's a bit like a secret agent going undercover in a foreign land and and they know they need to make a break with their past. Uh, They they need to go into the cold. They can't have any radio communication or secret communication. They have to change their identity. They have to go off off the record. They have to go off the whole radar, out of the way. There needs to be an after that's different to the before. It's a radical discontinuity with the past. And I wonder if if you are a follower of Jesus, as I expect most, or if not all of us are in this room, I wonder if that's how you think about your Christian life. Do you think about it as being a radical break with the past? The past meaning before you were a follower of Jesus. You see, being a Christian is not just about adding on another interest in your social media bio. Oh, like this, like this. Oh, I'm a Christian, full stop. It's not just a kind of another badge on your blazer or a, or a sticker on your bumper. It is a radical break from the past. And it is a radical new beginning. It's a change in identity. It's a new self. And it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus and not a follower of yourself. Uh, Over the last few months, we as a church have been trying to work out what our values are. It's been a really interesting exercise. We've come up with six different words. And the first word that uh, has landed as as the, the, in a sense, the word that everything falls down underneath is the word orthodox. And I remember chatting to lots of people about different things at different times. And one particular time I was talking and someone said, oh, I feel a bit funny about the word orthodox because it, it just, I mean, there's those orthodox Jews and there's the orthodox Muslims and they just seem to be really full on. And we don't want to be radical and extreme in that kind of way. Now, I understand what this person's saying. Like, we don't go around blowing things up. Yeah, well, if you do, stop it. Right. <laughs> But what we need to see as we look at this part of the Bible is that there is a radical nature to being a Christian. There's a, there's a finish the past and start the new. There's this discontinuity with the past, the before you become a Christian. And in that sense, we do need to be extreme Christians. Now, you can understand what I'm not saying there. Uh, you don't need to be the people who keep appearing on the news for the wrong reasons. I, what I'm saying is we, we need to, however, recognise that being a Christian is not just like another thing. Being a Christian is something that has changed our very heart and it needs to change our very life. We need to make a break with the past. And we need to become all new. And what will it look like? Well, we're going to see it in detail next week in particular and the weeks that follow. But we'll see that we're to be kind, that we're to be tender-hearted, that we're to be forgiving, that we're to be filled with love. That is what the radical Christian looks like. That is what life as a Christian is like. That's extreme Christianity. But why should we stop living the old way? Why do we need to make this radical discontinuity with the past, disconnection with the past. 
Well, verse 17b, we're still in the first verse. We'll get, we'll get going there. Uh, I, I think we'll have dinner, dinner time and not at breakfast. We, we'll, we'll speed up. It says, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. It's a pretty big call, isn't it? Those people who don't know Jesus are hopelessly confused, or, or quite literally, they have a vain or empty mind. Uh, that's a pretty big call. But that's how God sees people who don't know Jesus yet. Hopelessly confused. And if you've become a follower of Jesus, then you know that you have gone from being hopelessly confused to now having an insight into the truth, having a personal relationship with the ruler of the universe, the one who loves you enough to die for you. But the point is that before Christ, we were hopelessly confused. Friends, we do not become Christians to enhance our lives. The reason that people become Christians is because life before Christ is an absolute mess. And this is how it looks, verse 18. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. And you see that there. The minds are dark. The minds are closed. The hearts are hard. They've wandered far away from the life that God gives. This is the before picture of a Christian, not the after. And it shows why we need such a clean cut. It shows why we need to no longer be like the past, but now be like the new. It shows that, right, this picture here gives us a a picture of the deliberate distancing from God, the determined cutting off from God's goodness. It's like, no God, no God, no God. That is life before a person follows Jesus. And we see what it's like in reality, verse 19. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This is what the world is really like. And we don't need to look very far to find it, do we? Firstly, there's no sense of shame. Did you see that? No sense of shame. It's not just that they do things that are shameful and say, oh, I did that thing and I feel a bit ashamed. The way that they're described here by the Holy Spirit is that They don't feel that shame. They do it and it doesn't prick their conscience. The whole idea of right and wrong is distorted and it doesn't bring remorse. It's actually celebrated. No sense of shame. And not only is is lust something that they do, not only is lust something they do, it's something they pursue. It's like a hobby. It's like a passion. It's the thing that drives them. And we go on to read that they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. It's not just an accidental outcome. It's a deliberate pursuit. And it's celebrated too. Sexuality is distorted and then it is celebrated. Where there should be shame, there is pride. And like animals, they are driven by instinct and triggered by reaction. 
Now, I've got to say I find this pretty confronting. As I was preparing this, I thought, whew, do you reckon I could just fast forward through this because it's a bit in your face, isn't it? I have friends, I have family, I have colleagues who do not know the Lord Jesus, and I think this is a pretty full-on way to describe them. I reckon if I was writing down something in the Bible, I don't know if I'd quite put it that way because I'm not God. But this is a very bold and clear and real picture of what it is like to live a life that doesn't know Jesus. And it's pretty full-on. It feels pretty extreme. And sadly, I know that the after picture of many Christians doesn't really always seem to be that different to the before. Christians who do shameful things and sometimes don't feel so ashamed, a little bit ashamed, a little bit less ashamed the next time, a little bit less ashamed the next time. And I am talking about my own personal struggles as well. See, we've got to make sure that we don't, as Christians, use this definition of the before life as some sort of badge of honour. That this arrogant badge that we can say, you know, we look at how, you know, look how much we have changed. Look at what we've done to pull ourselves out of the depths. Look at us. Look at our recovery that we've made in our lives. If you think that for a second, then you've been asleep in church over the last 10 weeks that we've been looking at Ephesians. Because it is very, very clear that if you are in Christ, it's not because you can say, I did it my way. Look, Have a look at this. But God, this is back in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were just a little bit, we were dead because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. If you're a friend of Christ, if you've been saved by Jesus, then it's not like you can say, well, I was just having a little bit of a lie down and then I heard I should stand up and follow Jesus and so I sort of brushed myself off and stood up and say, look at me. It's like, no, you were dead. Check pulse, nothing. Check breathing, nothing. You know, ha, 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 staying alive, nothing, nothing. And then God, who is rich in mercy, says, come alive. And because he's raised Christ from the dead, he's raised you from the dead. And if you think for a second, you can say, well, I resuscitated myself pretty well. It's like, are you kidding me? The before and after is really stark. But don't think for a second you can say, well, you know, how good am I? No, it's how good is Christ? We were dead. He gave us life. He rose Christ from the dead. And we have been saved by God's grace, God's grace alone. And so if you're watching this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you think, oh, you bunch of smug Christians there who say how good you are and how bad we are. Oh, I don't mean to come across that way. I'm giving you the word of God here. But can you see that the miracle of any transformation is totally from God and not from ourselves? And so as people who have been transformed... We've got to realise that our new life is all God's work. 
And if you're watching this or you're here in this room and you are a person who hasn't actually gone across the line to follow Jesus yet and you said, whoa, this is just too weird and stuff like that, let me say, if you want to get on board, get on board and you will get new life. Whoever comes to Christ, he will save and he'll save you right now. And the transformation will not be one that you can say, well, how good am I? How smart am I? What a good decision I made. You were dead. And if you're dead and you want to come alive in Christ, you can, it can happen like that. Come to Christ right now. And the thing is, with all of this, it's by grace alone. Because that's what happens when we come to know Christ. Verse 20. It says, that isn't what you learned about Christ, what it was like before. We know Christ when we learn Christ. The reason I'm standing up here talking to you about the Bible and stuff is not because we've run out of things to fill our time with. You know, we could do a couple more songs or something. We do this and have this at the heart of what we do because by learning about Christ, we know Christ. We learn about Christ so that we will know Christ. This is why we come together and hear the word of God, why we spend so much time studying the Bible. We know that as we know about Christ, we will know Christ himself. We'll know the one who saved us. This is, we don't do all this so that we can have some sort of exam passed or, or get extra points in Bible trivia or something like that or impress our friends on the bus. We do this because we want to know Christ himself. We learn about Christ so we can know Christ. And the reason we do this, verse 21, since you have heard about Christ and have learned the truth that comes from him, what we see here is that as we learn about Christ, as we know Christ, we actually come to know the truth. The truth. You see, the, the truth that comes from him. We find it uncomfortable to talk about the truth anywhere. We, are, we much prefer the idea in our society that, that truth is true for you and your truth is true for you and my truth is true for me. And, well, find your truth and believe it. It's the spirit of the age. It's the air we breathe. But ultimately, when you think about it, it's actually pretty silly. Most areas of life don't really tolerate this ridiculous notion. It, you might believe that you are the healthiest person in the world. But if your doctor sits you down and says, your body is riddled with cancer, you can say, well, that's not true for me. I don't feel that truth. I don't want to hold that truth. It's like, well, let's give it six to eight weeks. And when I'm at your funeral, if you're happy for me to stand up and say what you said to me in my surgery. Truth is truth. And as we know Jesus, we know the truth. And it doesn't matter how many people believe that Jesus truly rose from the dead. You know, we could have some sort of poll in Facebook. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes or no or unsure? And people might say, well, look, what are the, well, the votes came in and 45% of people think that Jesus really rose from the dead. Well, may not be true then. It's like, huh? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is true. And that truth will change our life. And it will also change us. To, it would lead us to change our identity, to put on a whole new self. Verse 22. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. 
See, when we know Jesus, we've got to take off our old life. Now, when the fire brigade responds to a fire call that has hazardous materials in it, and the hazmat team comes along and you know the, maybe you, you, you're there and there's some asbestos or there's some chemicals and stuff like that, uh, what they will do is they won't sort of say, well, just, just brush it off and you'll be okay. Uh, they actually make you take off all your gear. And I saw some photos of a fire call a little while ago. One of my colleagues was there in this, these white overalls, these complete cut, you know, long sleeves, long arms. It's like, wow, uh, what's the, the deal with those? Well, what has happened is he, he's had to take off all his gear and stick it in this specially sealed bag and then get sprayed and everything and then put on, go back to the station, you know, the walk of shame, just wearing this funny old looking white overall because it is so serious his contamination that has had to be the whole outfit has needed to be taken off fully and they try and clean them and sometimes they just burn them that is what the Christian life is like we actually need to do that same thing with the, the clothes that we were wearing so to speak the, the clothes of our past it's not a little minor change it's not just spray a little bit on and it'll be okay it is about taking off our whole old self because why well firstly we see there that we were corrupted by lust did you see that we were corrupted by lust let's have a look at lust here Lust is just our sexual desire. It's something that God made in us, and it's a good thing. But it's something that's been distorted. God has made humans with sexual desire. It's part of who we are. We feel hunger. We feel thirst. We feel sexual desire. It's a natural and a healthy thing, and God gave it to us for our pleasure and procreation. Uh, here's how the, the marriage service in the prayer book puts it. You might have heard me say this before. Marriage was instituted so that a man and woman might serve God together through an exclusive lifelong commitment, which is the proper context for expressing sexual intimacy and affection. It was instituted so that children might be born and nurtured in a secure and loving environment for their well-being and instruction and for the good order of society. And it was instituted for the mutual companionship, help and comfort of husband and wife as they fulfil their responsibilities in marriage, both in prosperity and adversity. And if anyone would have any reason why... They, oh, no, no, but it's the rest of it. See, sexual desires are good. They're really good. But they're to be exercised between a husband and a wife, and that's it. Anything else is lust. And we read here from God's word that lust has corrupted us. Have you noticed that some thought leaders in our society will say that because a person has a particular desire, they are entitled to exercise that desire. And they can exercise that desire however they so wish. Because that desire is who they are and, and, and it's part of their nature. And so therefore it's necessary that they be free to exercise it, to, to, to show it. And, and what's more, they are actually required to exercise it. Because if they don't exercise that desire, then they're not truly who they are. They're not fulfilled in life. To deny themselves, to deny what they've been created is in some sort of violation of who they are. 
And so it's said that if a, if a person is sexually attracted to another person, then it's fine for them to act on that lust and to have sex with that person, even if they're not married and even if they don't know them very well and even if they're of the same gender and even if there's more than one person who wants to join in at the same time. You've got the lust. It's in your body. You feel it. It's who you are. It's who you're made, what you're like. You're born this way. So you've got to express it. That is the mantra of our society. And you can do anything you like according to how you're created or how you're evolved or whatever it is, or accept the things that we've decided at the moment are not acceptable. So you can go on and do those things, but like if it's to do with people who are under 18, well, our rules at the moment are, no, you can't do that. Oh, but I feel that I'm made that way. Uh, no, you can't do that. Well, I feel like I'm, it's the natural thing inside me. I need to be able to express that in who I am. Now, we don't allow you to do that. So why can I... Uh, well, just because. It's just wrong. Well, who says it's wrong or not? Well, you're a bigot. Well, we'll just shut this down then. Can you see what our society is doing and what it's like? Lust is everywhere. And our society is making up the rules about how to use it. And it's a lot harder for us because pornography has now become mainstream. Even if you don't go looking for it, it will go looking for you. The same screens that we use to read the Bible are the same screens that become infected with images that make us lust. This is a troubling thing for us, and it's what we need to put off. But it's not just lust, it's deception. We were corrupted by deception. We were corrupted by deception. They often go hand in hand, don't they? Lust and deception. The lust is hidden, and we sin in private. The word of the Lord's pretty clear. There's 22. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Throw it off. Like you turn up to a fire call, you've got your uniform on and you get a little bit of hazmat stuff on it. It's like, get it off. Throw it away. Stick it in that bag and they'll go and burn it and put on the funny white outfit. You've got to get away from it. Throw it off. But as you throw it off, there is something you can put on. Verse 23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. As you've taken off this old self, what do you put on? You allow the Spirit of God to renew your thoughts and attitudes. Instead of being ruled by your hormones, be ruled by the Holy Spirit. Instead of being ruled by lust, be ruled by the Lord. Be ruled by the Lord, not by lust. Let the Spirit of Christ be the one who renews and transforms your thoughts and attitudes. Now, this is something that takes time. The work of the Spirit happens one day at a time. You throw off the old self. It pops back. You throw off the old self. And you allow the Spirit of God to change you 
And it's what happens as the Spirit opens up God's Word to you and to me. If you're going through life day after day at school, at work, in your family, with your mates, if you're doing that day by day and you're not getting powerful doses of the Word of God every day, you're going to get into trouble. Uh, it's kind of a little bit like deodorant. You think, oh, I'll just put it on once a week. No, don't do that. You need to put it on every day. Uh, or, or like sunscreen. If you know that you're going to be going out in the sun all day, you've got to put it on in the morning or you're going to get burned. You need to kind of put on spiritual sunscreen. Uh, that's kind of what the Word of God is like. It's like every day, how are you going to be ready when you're bombarded with the UV of lust, of all these deceptions and stuff? Got to get the sunscreen on. Put it on on your face. How do you do that? We need the Spirit to renew our thoughts and attitudes. And I want to say to you, if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible every day, you don't do it so that you will be friends with God. No, 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 no. You've already become friends with God. You do it because otherwise you're going to get burnt. You've got to put on the spiritual sunscreen every day. Or the underarm, or whatever, which, whichever one you prefer the analogy to. You, how do you do it? Not that hard. If you wake up with an alarm tonight, before you wake up, well, you can sleep in tomorrow maybe if you like, but to Monday morning, when, when you get your little phone or alarm or whatever, set it 10 minutes early. Not too hard. And when it rings, and you wake up and everything like that, grab the Bible and just say, I'm going to start reading Mark's Gospel or Romans or 1 Corinthians or something like that, and just read a little bit. And then finish reading and then pray a short prayer. You will have God's spiritual sunscreen on you. You will have the word of the Lord. The Spirit will be working in your life and preparing you to battle on in a world that is full of lust and deception. It's a gift from God. I've loved this year being able to get up so that at 7am every morning a bunch of us connect up on Zoom and we, have a, we pray together, we read the Bible together. It's great. You're always welcome to come on. Just go to zoom.jamboreanglican.com and it'll take you straight there. That's got the details. You pray with others. Read the Bible with others. Read on your own. We need protection and it comes from the Spirit. We need to put on the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit renew our thoughts and our attitudes. But not only that, verse 24, this is our final verse. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We've taken off our soiled clothes and now we've put on our new clothes, the new nature, the white overalls. We should no longer be living a life that is ruled by lust and deception. We should be living a life that is ruled by the Lord, wearing the new clothes that are truly righteous and truly holy. They are better than the ones that we were wearing before. They really, really are. Because they are like God. To wear the clothes of the Lord, to wear God's clothes, to take off those horrible, stinky, soiled clothes of the, of the sinful nature. And to put on now the clothes of the Lord, he says, take my clean clothes. They are righteous. They are holy. And the more the Spirit renews our thoughts and our minds, the more that this new outfit will be attractive to us as well. 
What will you do to say no to lust this week? Think about it for 10 seconds. What will you do this week to say no to lust? I'll give you 10 seconds. Well, amongst whatever it is that you've decided to do, get your spiritual sunscreen. A daily dose of God's word. But what about other things like lust? How will you take off that soiled garment? Well, I wonder if one of the ways to do that is to shine some light on your dark places. To shine some light on your dark places. If you are struggling with light... Sorry, start again. If you are struggling with lust... If you're struggling with lust, and in particular, if you're struggling with pornography, why not find a trusted friend, someone you really trust, someone who you can tell them your secrets and you know that it's not going to suddenly be broadcast. Find someone you trust and say, can we meet and pray? And when you've established trust with them, share with them your struggles and say, will you pray with me? And by doing so and confessing your sins to each other and saying, this is a struggle I've got, it will bring light into that darkness. It will, bring, it will make something that is, dis, that is closed and is secret and deceptive. It will make it out there for you to deal with in the power of the Spirit. Shine light on those dark places. And remembering all of this, you are loved by God. You are forgiven by God. And no matter what is going on in your heart and your mind, no matter those thoughts that go through your mind that you are embarrassed about, that you are ashamed about, the things you've done, you've said, you've thought, you've looked at, bring them to the Lord and say, will you forgive me? And he says, I forgive you. You know that. Because remember, you were dead. But in Christ, you're now alive. And since you've been saved by grace, you will now live by grace and grace alone. Let the Spirit renew you by his word and let a trusted friend help you with your struggles. Well, as we wrap up, I've got to say, I just can't imagine what it would be like to take on a whole new identity, to, to go and be given a new driver's license. And on it is my face, well, sort of. And it's kind of got... It's not what I remember, but I know that I've had some plastic surgery and I've now got a new first name, middle name and last name and I've got a new address. And and I, I don't live where I used to live. I live in a completely different part of the world and I've now got a new story. So when people say, tell me about yourself, you say, oh, well, I grew up here in, in Thailand and, I, you, know, and you, you say the story and there it is and it, wow. To go through that experience must be, I think, not only really hard and really tricky to pull off, but quite traumatic, saying goodbye to the past, especially if it's been ripped away from you. But you know what? When you become a follower of Jesus and you look at the past, you say, I don't want anything to do with that. I want the new identity. I want to be a person who is a Christian, who is one of Christ's. I say goodbye to that. And so we must undergo a complete change in identity. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's not burdensome. It is a blessing.
And so we should pray that the Spirit would lead us to take off the old nature and to put on the new, the new that is like God, the new that is righteous, the new that is holy. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you for the deep transformation that happens as we come to follow Jesus. And thank you that you now look at us as like Jesus, as ones who are saved, as ones who are forgiven, ones who are now righteous in your sight. And we thank you that as we struggle through life, especially with lust and deception, that you would help us to truly put off the old and to put on the new, to really be changed by your spirit and to put on the new that is like God, the new that is holy, the new that is righteous. And Father, for anyone in this room who's struggling with lust, struggling in particular with pornography, Father, please would you lead them to make one step this week to deal with that Pray that you would strengthen them and make that happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Trip.